Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank. It is that time of year again. We are doing our season review. I think this is the fifth year now. We've done a half a decade of Sail Shark podcasting. And this one will probably be, if not our best one, definitely our most positive one. There is a lot to talk about from what has been a pretty monumental year for Sail on the field and a pretty monumental year for rugby in general uh, off of it. So, uh, once again, my name is Lewis, uh, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alex and James. Alex, how are you doing, mate? I'm very good. I'm feeling very reflective about the uh, the season. I'm excited for another one, to be fair. Um, you know, we've been it's probably been four weeks without rugby now since we've uh, last had the Prem final. Um, and, yeah, just already looking forward to it coming back um, and seeing... Hopefully another another good season from Sale. So yeah, excited to relive that season. I think because it kind of uh, snuck up on us that we ended up in a Premiership final. Um, so time to look back and appreciate it. How are you? Yeah, very good. Like it's a nice nice position to be in. We usually take a couple of weeks uh, at the end of the season before we do our season review. Like you said, to to actually you know think back and reflect and uh, and all the rest of it. But actually this year. You know, we're actually getting towards the end of June by the time we get round to it because we were actually playing rugby right up until the end of the season with that Premiership final that we've we've already mentioned. So it's a nice position to be in, and it kind of you know we're we're still a couple of weeks away from from preseason for next year, so it's a really good time to take a step back and reflect and and really kind of look at what what goes on next year. Um, and of course, we're also joined by James. James, how how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I've still got this kind of Twickenham afterglow, really. Um, which is a really good thing, and it's obviously tempered with, you know, what's been happening with London Irish and things like that, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into because it's kind of two sides to this to this season. But from a sale perspective, it's, it just feels like it's been a really good journey, you know, since the new owners came in, and I hope that this is the final step on the ladder before we reach the summit. Absolutely. So, I mean, let's let's get right into it. And and just for our listeners' context, we're going to split this podcast into broadly three parts. Um, the first, we're going to talk about what happened on the field for sale this year. We'll talk about you know, kind of some of the key results. We'll obviously talk about that march to a Premiership final. We'll talk about you know some of our some of our top performers. We'll then take a look at things what's happened off the field because obviously any review of the 2022-2023 season is not complete without reflection on the fact that. There are three fewer clubs in the competition than there were uh, when we uh, we did our first podcast of the year uh, about 10 months ago. And then finally, we'll round things off with our usual end of season awards and, and get a little bit of debate going there as well. So, um, James, I mean, uh, you, you kind of you, you mentioned it off the hop, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably, probably go to you first. But, you, you know, for, for, for kind of sale fans, how significant was this year? Because you, you look at the table the, for, from the regular season. Sale finished second, 69 points, five points behind Saracens, who were first. But then they're 10 points clear of Leicester in third. And all year long, it really felt that there was a clear top two. A top two that Sale had propelled themselves into year over year. Obviously, having missed the playoffs uh, the season prior. Um, so from from your perspective, you know what, what what's been the kind of 
Uh, let me rephrase that. What's been the most, you, you know, how significant has this year been for Sale? Because not only do we take that next step, we got back into the playoffs, we won a playoff game, we, we got to a premiership final. But actually, when we look back to October and November last year, even from then, we were by far one of the clear two best teams in the league. What does it, what does it mean for Sale and that kind of project you spoke about with the new ownership? Uh, I, I think it's a real big mind, milestone, this. Because I think it gives everyone a flavour of success, including the owners. You know, and let's not forget the amount of effort that has gone in off the field, especially to get in this club in a reasonable position. You know, setbacks after setbacks. We talked about the move back to sale and how that didn't work. You know, the continuing nightmare about, you know, owning our own stadium, <clears throat> the investment in people like the Dupreas. You know, the Fafta clerks along the way, the Lou Diagas, for Christ's sake. You know, we're going to be watching them in the World Cup soon as world superstars. And they've been playing for sale in these in this era. And, you know, to get from the sort of transition from Steve Diamond, you know, who kind of, you know, was kind of like life support <laughs> for, for us. And the thought of being without him, probably a little bit scary. And Sanderson sort of take that on and, if anything, give it just an extra bit of momentum. I think just shows to us that we're still on an upward curve here. That's why I think it's very significant that we feel that there's still the better times to come and we aren't just at a peak. Um, and I think that that's, I hope that that's true. And I, and I think that that is true as well, but I think it is always worth keeping our feet on the ground here because you only need maybe a, you know, a couple of unfortunate years with injuries or something like that. Um, owners to get a bit, bored of it and then suddenly we're we're in London Irish's position you know what I, I was thinking about this because we got to the final right and London Irish got to the final I don't know when it was it was probably about eight years ago now or something like that they randomly got to the final they were always a good team but you wouldn't say final material and I think they played Leicester in that final and they got beaten quite comfortably um might have been in around not when we won it but you know, it's just that real juxtaposition there of now a team doesn't exist. The team doesn't exist anymore. And uh, that's because, you know, we're just relying on benefactors. And I'm not trying to make this negative because I think what I'm going to move on to say, I think will make sense now, which is look, that, that, that is that is the other side of the coin. And we have to keep our feet on the ground and we have to be thankful for what we've achieved this year and the significance of that. I think what makes it different, right, um, is, is that, we were the clear second best team in the year in the Premiership this year. You know, this isn't about finishing fourth and making a final, um, a distant fourth. Even when Quinns won it a few years ago, when they finished a distant fourth and then actually just had two amazing games and won the Premiership, I've kind of got an asterisk next to that. It's like fair enough, you won the Premiership, but you are a long, long way back, even from third position in the table. That's absolutely. Seems- yeah, and, so and, and, it, and Bristol Bristol bottled it, right? And Bristol bottled it and were clear top with the best team in the Premiership that year. For for us, I feel that there were actually times where we weren't far off Saracens in that league table and we just had the, a bit of a blip at the turn of the year where they put the hammer down and, uh, you know, we were within touching distance, honestly, of them with a couple of other results going another way. Um, we, we could have been there and I think that's the difference. Saracens have a consistency and we have built a lot of consistency with the odd blip. So maybe this will be a good transition. But, you know, we won the first seven games of the year, all competitions, two in the Premiership Cup, five in the Premiership. 
that's pretty. I mean, when was the last time Sale won the first seven games of the season? I mean, absolutely nuts, right? Like that's probably we're not going to get it that good again. But what happened after that was we then lost a home game against Quinns comfortably. I mean, we were beaten very comfortably, and it was a massive humbling and coming down to earth. That never happens to Saracens. Saracens don't rock up at home and lose by fourteen points or whatever it was, fifteen points to at home to Quinns. 16. Uh, 16 points. I mean, there we go. I mean, that, that just that, that's, that wouldn't happen unless it was during an international period uh, and even then probably wouldn't happen, um, certainly at home. Or, or as did at the end of the season when they basically rotated their whole team, their whole squad and had like a like an academy side rolling out um, in the last two or three games of the season. Um, so by then they'd done what they needed. They were resting their squad for the playoffs. We actually hadn't done quite enough for those home semi-finals uh, until pretty much at the death of the season. And so we were kind of mentally a little bit more on it. But I think that's the difference. I don't want to scare people with this whole London Irish Worcester thing and, and whilst we'll get we'll get to that. I think that we are still on an upward trajectory. The best is still to come. And I think we can see that the owners are still engaged and we're re-engaging old fans of this club when you saw all of those pictures from Twickenham with some of the lads from 2006, like Chris Jones going down there in his match shirt, things like that, you start realising that there's a kind of Edgeley Park 10,000 people who went regularly or semi-regularly who just never appeared at the AJ Bell that were being re-engaged now. And I think that there's a one-off opportunity post-World Cup, because it will be post-World Cup, with hopefully a bit of a glow for Rugby Union which we haven't had for a long time where we can really bring it. We've got, you know, full stadiums as an example at the end of the year at the AJ Bell. That's what I'm most excited about, most significant. We actually filled the stadium. We actually did it on a couple of occasions. So let's do it every time from next year. That's what excites me. We, we've obviously been doing this podcast together for far too long because you mentioned earlier about transitioning into chatting about those first seven games and it was very much next on the on the list. And I guess, Alex, you know, bring, bring yourself into this conversation. Um, Sale obviously go on this incredible run to start the year. Like just, uh, the, you know, the year's gone by of uh, kind of slow starts, you know, catching up with us. That was the, the case, obviously, in 21, 22. Um, uh, a past, right? You know, we, we start the year... We beat Saints 29-22 at home. We then go away to Bath. We win 37-20. We then, uh, we then uh, win a couple of games in the Premier Rugby Cup. Back in the Premiership, we beat Exeter 28 points to 20. We then go away to Leicester and win 26-16. Remember, this is the, the team that's just you know, romped to a title the year before. And then we come back home and we thump London Irish 37-14. And it's not until, as James mentioned, that game against Quinns, which is uh, October 23rd, you know, season six, seven weeks old at this point, before we lose our first game. I guess the question I wanted to, to ask you is, um, what, what, with that run of games to start, when, when did you really start to, to believe that actually this, year, this year's team is that little bit better, that little bit different, and, and, and one that was actually going to go all the way, um, you know, to, to be a genuine title contender versus a playoff contender? Yeah, I think it was almost very early on, but it was never fully when we're going to get in the playoffs. I think I once we'd won two games in a row, because our starts to the season have been so poor, historically. I always knew we were going to come good at the end of the season. Um, 
I think we'd seen enough from the last few to know that we had a really good squad. We had talent and we have something that not many people can cope with, which is a really physical team. Um, and I think it was kind of complemented by a bit more of a settled back line, solved the fullback problem very well, um, which we'll come on to later, I'm sure. Uh, and, it, and it really informed 9 and 10. I mean, you've got to remember at the start of the season, we were kind of saying this is Gus Ward's chance. He needs to step up here because we haven't seen much from him. And, um, you know, we're this is his year. This is his opportunity. And if this doesn't work out, where does he go? Um, and for him and Rob Dupree in that first sort of six, seven games and the whole season, to be honest, it just looked like such a strong partnership. So I think, very quickly it felt like this will be a year where we get top four and we'd have to really fall off. But then also as a sale fan, you never you never think in you know I, I think I always thought, yeah, we'll we'll get top four, we'll finish strong here because I knew as soon as we were beating teams like that, I I felt like we could keep it up. Um but then I never really thought we'd be in a semi final. I certainly didn't think we were gonna get a home semi final. I still thought we had it in us to, you know, fall away at the last minute. Um, so it's it's just so different to years past and I think the mentality is so different and we've talked about kind of, you know, the, the way that's changed and the fact that we're filling the stadium and there's all these changes to the club sort of not only off the field but sort of quasi on off the field. I think the biggest change on the field has been that our mentality is so, so much better than it ever has been you know we're positive we're aggressive but we're controlled with it you think about the discipline issues we've had in the past i think they've got better i think they're still there and we still play on the edge and give away penalties but um it's we're not giving away yellow cards like we used to and you know going down to 14 men every game um so i think and we're just so much more accurate in our sort of execution of of what we're doing you know we're scoring tries, and I think we noticed that that the attack got better because we executed, and it wasn't because we, you know, we suddenly we've obviously got a few new names in that back line, but really we've been creating chances for quite a while, and we've just not been taking them. Uh, and I think you're seeing us kind of. I think that comes back down to you know, between the ears, you know that you need to execute this, and you know that you need to score. And we're doing it every time. So I think once you saw that change, that really encouraged you to think this is a special group and that they're going to do something this season. I don't know what that is, but you always felt that they had something in them in either competition. And, and you know, a couple of years ago, we had the Challenge Cup run. Um, you know, I mean, last year we were playing Racing in a quarterfinal. Um, this year, that's obviously, we didn't make it into that. Um, kind of level but the premiership was the real focus and it's created kind of you know as, as cheesy as it sounds memories that are lost in lifetime for the players and the fans because we've actually delivered I think on the potential we have in that squad and if we can continue that then we've set up kind of a really really good legacy as James says to to create a squad that we're going to be talking about for a long long time and create some opportunities to win silverware yeah, and I think th- that kind of 
you kind of mentioned it there, that mentality shift or that kind of shift in operations where we're being so much more clinical. I mean, I, I, I really kind of felt in that first block of games, it was actually round two. It's when we went down to Bath and won by 37 points to 20. You know, the, the wreck had been not, not necessarily like a bogey ground for sale in recent years in terms of results, but for whatever reason, probably the scheduling, the games were just terrible quality. You know, the amount of, you know, nine, nine, nine six and, uh, you know, playing in the mud and like just real attritional. And obviously the conditions do play a big factor, particularly the wreck, which obviously in, in terms of the turf there is, is pretty, you know, pretty poor, uh, especially in the wet. But, you know, to see us go away to a team that was ostensibly, you know, uh, you know, back on the up and just blow them out of the water and never really let them get a sniff. That was, you know, the 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 first sort of indicator that this team is is as well rounded as we hoped in terms of putting some attacking um, specialism and attacking like clinicalness on top of that that kind of massive physicality that we've had for a couple of years. Yeah, and I think just talking about kind of last season and and where you knew in this season that we changed. If you look at results year on year, going away to the rep last season, we drew and we should have won the game. And we just didn't quite get over the line. And I think, similarly, uh, Irish at home last season we drew, and this we just made it so much easier for ourselves this year. By we always know our defence has been good, but because we were able to score points and because we were able to kick our goals, because Rob Capri was in form, we gave ourselves quite big buffers between. You know, we weren't in a risk of draw or a narrow loss because we were seven. We we're winning games by seven fourteen points. And the amount of try bonus points we got is the kind of the reason for that. So I think that's when you started to see when it was kind of, oh, well, this game last year, say Leicester away. This game last year, we did really well. We put a really good effort in with half a squad, but we didn't quite get over the line. And this year, we've done it and we've won relatively comfortably. Um, and I think it comes from that sort of, you saw that the squad felt more balanced. Because I think last year, people were really trying to win games. Um, especially obviously knowing it was kind of faps last year and Lude was in and out of the squad. I think there was a bit of forcing it from everyone. And this year it just felt like a group who knew how they wanted to play, knew what they were going to do, did it, executed it. And all of a sudden you're winning by seven, like I say, seven, 14, 21 points, whatever it is. Um, and that's quite new for sale. That, that sort of almost cold clinical edge that I think we didn't see in teams of the past. Um, I don't know where that's come from, and it's obviously there's a bit of change in player makeup, there's a big change in coaching makeup, um, but that is, that's a big sort of trigger for me, is when you look at how do we do in this game last season, and if we're progressing, then every other team is still progressing. So, you know, if you're progressing above where you were last season, especially from last year when we knew we weren't up far top four, it didn't take that many results to tick us into, you know, into a top four position and then ultimately I think what kind of that because we were able to do that six weeks in a row and just win every game or seven games in a row whatever it was um, that meant that we'd set ourselves up in such a good way to just kind of maintain that through the season and we never had the leaders pressure because of Saris and I think that's important I think that's a very different pressure um, we still have managed to have that kind of underdog mentality of well we're still the North we're still not the best team Saris have still got all the players Um but we had that kind of, yeah, we, I think we felt confident that we were the second best team in the country almost 
Um, and we knew that we could beat Saris on their day. Um, so I think that's that's the real shift. And it'll be interesting to see next season, as we go into each fixture, what was this last season? What was the what was the result? Because it'll be very quick to see whether teams have caught up with us or we've managed to kind of keep pace and, and keep that distance. And, and that kind of leads us really neatly into the, the, the kind of, I guess, second part of the season, so to speak. And it's worth mentioning, you know, we're at the, the sort of end of October now. And actually, by this point, Worcester had gone into administration, Wasps had gone into administration, and all of a sudden, that that kind of standard, like structured league starts to starts to disassemble a little bit, and actually, the the frequency of games really starts to change. And we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about the Champions Cup. But you, you start to have these kind of like big breaks and two, three weeks between games, and I think it. It's really interesting because actually what happens around this time after winning the first five on the bounce, say obviously lose at home to Harlequins, and to your point, Alex, it'd be really interesting to see whether or not that that trend continues next year, you know, when we when we next play them at home. We obviously go down to Saracens and get beaten by eleven points. Probably um, you know, the 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 shine had already sort of come off a little bit with the pretty poor performance against Quinns, probably our worst performance of the season. This one was kind of uh, you know compounding things, but then we we bounced back in pretty impressive fashion. You know, Gloucester come come to the AJ Bell early November. We beat them by ten points, winning twenty seven seventeen. You then have a couple of weeks in the Premier Rugby Cup. Bristol come up, uh, you know, end of November. We beat them twenty five points to twenty. Um, you kind of get you, you know the, the kind of quick recovery and obviously. Winning home games is so important and we're delivering that. There's a bit of a stinker against Newcastle uh, at, at Kingston Park just before Christmas, losing 20 points to 14. But then we back that up, you know, a week later when Leicester come up on uh, on the 30th of December, so just before New Year's Eve, and we beat it by 40 points to five. And it's kind of like a, in, in this period of the season when we're kind of talking about momentum shifts, um, we had got off to a fantastic start and we're looking pretty good. Had two pretty pretty rough weeks. Um, you then have the further complication of you know, your game weeks getting mixed up and confusion about the fixture list. And we, we kind of ride that out, have a decent showing in the Champions Cup to, to at least start with. And then actually when it comes, comes back to the Premiership action, we're comfortably beating teams at home. Yes, you have the odd you know, tough game away at a place like Kingston Park. But then we, you know, we rattle back from that and, and actually perform probably our performance of the season against Leicester just before just before New Year. And it kind of felt no matter how many like small steps back we took, you know, we were always like moving forward in a, in a really positive way, uh, even if you know, the league was kind of crumbling around us a little bit. And James, obviously we'll talk about, we'll talk about what happened off the field a little bit later. And we'll, we'll talk about like, the Champions Cup and, and the Premier Rugby Cup um, as well a little bit later. But I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, we're now kind of in January uh, sale, you know, go down to Quinns and avenge that loss. You know, they win 24 points to 16. Um, and the fixture list after that really starts to fall away. We don't play again until the end of January when we, when we beat Bath at home 30 points to 27 in the Premiership. Um, we then don't play again in the Premiership until the 18th of February. We're at the point where there's these two, three, you know, big, big breaks. Uh, and actually, we, you know, we end up getting beaten uh, away at home, away from home against Northampton, thirty-eight points to thirty-four in, in in a game that I think the refs probably probably decided uh, for for both teams. But I guess from from your perspective, you were talking a bit earlier about the kind of momentum that we built and how how significant the year was. 
how how important was was that run of form? The the last sort of six to eight weeks I've just mentioned there, when even as we were seeing such significant disruption off the field, Sale for the most part was still either rattling up wins at home or pushing teams like Northampton extremely close and getting a couple of try bonus points uh, out of it. Like how how important was that in terms of taking that momentum from the start of the season? and carrying it forward to where we obviously know we eventually ended up. I think this is where we stuttered, honestly. I think this is the toughest part of the season for us when you take all the competitions in the round and you have a look at the Champions Cup and the Premiership Cup because they are still really important for momentum. You know, that pre-Christmas run, you know, we, we didn't keep winning every single game. But as you said, you know, we won that opening game against Ulster pretty comfortably. Okay, we went away from home and got battered to lose. But I mean, join the club. Um you know, and that win against Leicester around New Year, it still felt we were winning the games that we needed to win. And that Quinns at home was kind of the the blip, really. Okay, away at Kingston Park, we would have liked to have won that game. I think we should have won that game when you see where Newcastle ended up with the season. But we know that that is not a place where Sale go and prosper, right? You go and survive and maybe scrape a win if you're going to do it, maybe with the last kick, kick of the game. That's just how these things tend to roll. When you have a look at this beginning part of the season, you know, you kind of lost comfortably at home against Toulouse. You know, lose comfortably away against Ulster in the Champions Cup. I know we'll talk about the Champions Cup, but I, if you put it in context of were we ready to be English champions, I think we deserve to be in the final. We're easily the second best side. We did keep that momentum up. We did come through this t- tough patch but the lack of competitiveness in Europe and the lack of full consistency across the whole season, you know, not able to just ignore, you know, eliminate all the blips, um, I think is the reason why we we're not, we, we weren't ready to be English champions, you know, with the way that we formed in the Champions Cup. And actually, you know, we scraped that win. You mentioned the, you know, the Bath game at home, 30 points to 27. This was as Bath were turning to the corner as a team that actually going in maybe into next season will be a different kettle of fish, but... You know, that, that that was a bit of a surprise scrape. And then we, you know, we go into the Premiership Cup, which we've been performing well in, don't forget. We'd won quite a few games. And then we, we got up to, battered two games in a row. And I think that was where we realised that maybe this depth in the squad wasn't there as much as we thought. There were some first team players that played in these games that didn't have the impact that we would have wanted, um, you know, alongside the academy kids. Um, and we got absolutely hammered and that put us off, you know, from obviously getting through on the Premiership Rugby Cup. And yes, we did go to Saints and come away with, you know, bonus points there, which was a good, uh, you know, was a good performance. But actually, we still lost. And then we lost the following week as well at, at Chiefs. So actually, that kind of like post um, uh, Harlequins away at the beginning of January where we got revenge. You know, after that, we went on a run really of, of, of really, you know, that, that win against... Bath was kind of like the only standout from about seven or eight games. And I think, you know, that was where it was like, okay, well, we've got a really bad run here. And I think as we look towards the end of the season in the Premiership, the question, the essay question was, you know, is everything going back towards the norm now? Um, This easy top two is now not an easy top two. And, you know, we're going to have to go on a run and, and, and win some games. And, 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 and there was this big moment, I think, on Sunday, the 5th of March, 2023, where Saracens 
came to um, came to Salford to play sale. And um, yeah, I think it was a, a fantastic occasion. You were there, weren't you, Alex? Yeah, I was. And, and you're right in that it was quite almost turgid. It, it felt hard work that first three months. I remember get, I went to uh, Ulster away and compared to how we played against them at home and we knew it was going to be tough, but we just, it just didn't have any kind of, you know, sort of fluidity in our game or, or all of that kind of confidence that had been running through the side in the early part of the season seemed to seem to not be there anymore. Yeah, and I think one thing to flag as well as we had this whole foreshore situation leaving during that period, and I think it really did disrupt us on the pitch, not just defensively, by the way, because we used defence as an attacking weapon. I think it just really disrupted us. Um, and it took us a while to sort of, I suppose, just rectify that. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing that sort of was starting to rear its head then was the, the George Ford, Rob Dupriya decision. And, and that was kind of unsettling the squad. You know, it it it'd become a very settled war Dupriya combination. And, and with Rafi Quirk as well, coming back to fitness as well as George Ford, that I think that started to, you started to see that it became difficult difficult to pick teams. Um, and it was sort of around that period. I think George Ford was still sort of tentatively coming back, um, and and Rafi was too. But it just you know it felt like oh we we had this really good start to the season, we had this really good team, and then there was this real question of how do we get George Ford in the team? Do we get George Ford in the team? Does he have to earn his way in on merit? Do we put him in and try and get him to play with Rob Capria? Um And I think you saw that kind of replicated in the performances, a bit of uncertainty, a bit of worry, a bit of, you know, we just weren't quite playing the free flow and we weren't scoring four tries a game. We weren't finding the edge. We weren't cutting through defences quite as easily. Um, And then that Saracens game came around and I think we knew it was massive. And I think it's really impressive that we put in the performance we did because it felt like we'd rediscovered our mojo a bit after a pretty torrid time. And I think, from memory, I need to double-check this, but did we go? Did they score a couple of tries and, and we were sort of like well well adrift? Yeah, they, they, they went 16-0 up to start the game. Yeah. Was it two Maitland tries? Or have I made that up? Um, uh, one from one from Lewington, one from Theo Dan, two penalties from Alex Goode. Uh, yeah. And and I think we, once we were kind of, yeah... That's that's really interesting because the season almost turned in that game. It didn't. It's not like we turned up to Saris and we were like, "Yeah, we're on it. We're just gonna we knocked him over. It's fine." And obviously they were missing players. I mean, the fact and Theo Dan had a brilliant game that day. By the way, I knew then that he should be playing for England in the World Cup basically because he was unbelievable. Um, you know that when like, oh, Jamie George isn't playing great, and then all of a sudden Theo Dan comes out with a performance like that. Um, but it was in the game, and and it wasn't even. And I think what really impressed me this season. And this happened in the Saris game is that it didn't need half time and it didn't need us to kind of be taken to a room and speak to the coaches. It changed on the field in the game and the players changed it and it was player driven. And we sort of, you know, we pulled ourselves back into contention and then we pulled away. And listen, those Saris, I remember we weren't playing badly against Saris. They just did what Saris always do. But it's the mentality to go 16 points down 
And I remember sitting there saying, you cannot give Sarri a 16-point lead. That's game over. And the fact that, you know, and I'll admit, I'm a, I'll am hold my hands up and say I'm a pessimistic Sale fan. I'm, I've been through too much pain over the last... When your first two seasons of the Challenge Cup win and the Prem win, and then you spend 15 years watching what we've had to watch, you run out of faith a little bit, don't you? And honestly, the fact that like this group has that faith, and I think they had the faith to turn it around, but they also have the, the calmness, the presence of mind. And that's the big change, because with Dimes, it used to be, oh Christ, we're going to have to get in for half time, we'll have a rocket up our asses, and we might come out and nick this in the second half. That's not the way with Sanderson, and, and I think the the squad you can see is getting better at that and better at kind of managing the in-game scenarios and being able to turn momentum themselves rather than having a forced break that kind of you then are able to turn momentum so i think that game was was huge and and it, it was a statement to the league that we could beat saris it was a statement to ourselves that we could you know we could change games and we could we kind of got our mojo back a bit and i think it then set us on to the rest of the season in kind of we always had that in our back pocket that yeah we've beaten saris and and i think that kind of probably gave us a bit of extra confidence and and even took us to the point of you know when we were talking about the prem final we were thinking well yeah we've beaten saris we know we can beat them um so yeah i think that's that's a huge moment in our season and there's obviously some I think the Cardiff game was after that. So it wasn't quite a tipping point and we were suddenly on this amazing run. But it just, it, that's where you start to see the league become, the, the confidence come back into the team, I think. I, I was going to say, it's, it's really interesting because you are right. That Saracens game felt like a turning point. We'd had, had this great start. Things had done, we'd been doing pretty well, but there was an element of, of kind of, you know, stuttering along, you know, kind of falling into place. Then, you know, you lose a couple on the balance. You have this massive win against Saracens. And you're like, great, now we can kick on. We've proven we can beat the best team in the league. We're, we, we're deserving of that top two place. And actually, the following week, seven days later, we go away to Irish and get beat 36 points to 18. And, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, Irish finished fifth and they had a particularly strong, you know, run at the end of the season. Um and it actually, you know, kind of didn't impact sale that significantly. But it's it's so interesting how this kind of league ebbs and flows and how competitive it has been, not just last, this year, but actually in the last, you know, five, ten years. But then I think the, it also kind of illustrates why it's so important to take that long-term view, that holistic view. Because, yes, we go away and get beat by Irish in the next Premiership game. Yes, we then actually go away to Cardiff and get beat in the Challenge Cup, which obviously we'll revert back to. But actually, if you just look at the, the, the Saracens game, uh, the Irish game, and then the, uh, the the final three premiership games of the season, away at Bristol, 36 points to 20, so I'll win. Away at Gloucester, 25 points to 22 win. And at home to Falcons to finish off the regular season, 54 points to 12. Yes, a week after the Saracens win, we, we have a stinker against the Irish. But actually, we go on to win our three out of our four final premiership games in the, in the season. And all year long, we've had this momentum. We've we've had this kind of really strong foundation. You know, around this time, March time, you know, maybe the foundations are creaking a little bit and, you know, Irish are, are coming good and, uh, you know, Leicester rebounded into a bit of form. But actually, you know, we beat Saracens. Yeah, we have an off day against Irish. Then we come back and win, win out for the rest of the season. 
And it means that when actually all things are said and done, as I mentioned 30 odd minutes ago, we're 10 points clear in second. We've, we've had a home semi-final books for a couple of weeks and it's put us on a real, really exciting path. Um, and then let's talk playoffs. So, you know, sell end the year in, in this really strong run of form. We are by far the, the clear second best team in the league and, and on our day, you know, could be even the best. And we have a home semi-final against Leicester. And Alex, I'm going to go back to you first because I know you were in the, ro- uh, in the room, in the stadium, you know, for this one. Um, it's a first home semi-final in, in 15, 16 years since that 2006 triumph. Um, it's Leicester, a team that we've beaten twice and beaten relatively comfortably this year, but a team that's actually gone to the mountaintop the, the previous year. And, you know, how 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 significant, again, I'm going to use that word, how significant was that occasion? I know we spoke about it two days after the game uh, earlier this year, but in hindsight, you know, what, what did that game mean in the context of sales season? Yeah, it's still as exciting in hindsight as it was at the time. And I think it meant way more off the field than it ever will on the field. Um, it, it sort of gave that kind of belief in the club and it felt like a this is Sale Sharks as it should be, you know, with the excitement, with the passion, with the northern uproar. Um, and I think also the kind of... the, the Just the feeling around the day meant that that translated onto the pitch and and there was a bit of nervousness and again it comes back to kind of the mentality of it that you know these players had to deal with a hell of a lot of expectation i mean the raw when they ran back in to go and pre-kickoff to you know go back into the changing room was genuinely one of those that again i'm gonna sound cheesy here but like a spine tingling moment when you think oh this is massive isn't it this is a big day um and I get the roar when Rafi scored his disallowed try as well. Um, it's just big, big moments. And I think it helps to play in atmospheres like that to kind of build resilience under pressure because there was so much expectation on us and we don't deal well with expectation. And Leicester was so far the underdog and they were kind of, you know, even in the game, kind of Andre Pollard not starting because he was injured. You know, there was so much kind of going for us that you felt that the squad needed to be able to deal with that and able to deal with that pressure. Um, and to our credit, we did. But it's just one of those occasions that I look back on now and think, what a what a day and what that will have done for not only the squad to play in front of a crowd like that and see that atmosphere, because it'll keep people at the club. You know, people will think, People do get fed up of playing in front of 2,000 at the AJ Bell, don't they? Whereas if you know that that's achievable, then you know that you're going to play in front of 10,000 people, then you're excited about that prospect. So I think that's part of it. But also just the to win it and to have that occasion. And after the game and everyone's you know cheering, I think you've created a lot of fans there. As James said at the top, you're bringing people back into the fold, back into the Sharks family. Kind of, They've been out in the cold after the Edgy Park years and moved to the AJ Bell. And, and frankly, the, like, you know, the years when we were nearly getting relegated and, and just dire rugby and kind of 10, 9, like going nowhere. Um, 
all of those people kind of saw what Sale were about and saw what it can be to be at the AJ Bell and in that crowd. And I think we're always working against the stadium. We're always working against the stadium location. But let's not forget that semi-final was a Sunday. You know, people had work on the Monday morning and we were still able to create that atmosphere. So I think as much as we know it's not going to be like that every week, I think that's what we have to try and strive for. But it's it's always going to be difficult because there's, you know we're on a stadium in the middle of nowhere and you're never going to quite create that atmosphere. But if we can create that more regularly, Leicester are used to playing in front of that kind of atmosphere week in, week out at Welford Road. And that will better prepare us for then the big occasions. Because I don't think we were overawed by Twickenham, but it's not going to do any harm to, especially our younger players, to be playing in front of like big crowds and big atmospheres and, and un, under pressure and under that weight of expectation. Because then when it comes to Twickenham, it's a step up, yeah, but it's not like wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, oh my God, look at this, deer, rabbit in the headlights, deer in the headlights thing. It's It's more kind of it's more just a graduation of where you are like year on year week on week um so yeah i think as i say it was a massive occasion and i you just hope that we get more of them and you hope that we can get more of them in the regular season because like i say i think that's really important for for the squad to a be under that pressure and be under that expectation for games and and deal with it but also for the players to to make them want to play for sale because you know we do have an incredible fan base and we are loud and it's just you know there's only so much you can do when there's four thousand people in the place it has to be ten thousand it has to create that kind of massive you know wider atmosphere all around the ground because it's great when you score in front of the south stand under the posts but if you score in front of the north stand in the corner. It's empty, so you know that's the that's what I think. What we need to like take from that game is let's make it enjoyable for the players to play at the AJ Bell through having a big crowd, and also making the club sustainable, but also building them under that pressure and, and creating occasions like that. And then next time Sarri's come, it's going to be a huge game, isn't it? And if we can get ten, twelve thousand people in whatever it is at the AJ Bell, then it it just builds the the fixture and the expectation and build some rivalries and, and yeah, make it um make it as exciting as possible for, for people going because, you know, the we're only gonna have nine home games next season, um, in the Prem. We're gonna have two in the Champions Cup and we're gonna have a couple of Prem Rugby Cup that no one cares about. It's the commodity is rare, so it's it's about, you know, if you've only got nine chances to play at home in front of other people in front of your home fans max of minimum sorry you obviously play home semi-final as well then it's about making those occasions really really big and making it exciting for people going and obviously that that occasion you spoke about that that win over Leicester took us to Twickenham and, and James obviously we, we we all know how the season ended for sale you know gallant gallant losers and, and silver medalists um but I guess maybe this kind of rolls into a bigger picture question which is you know even Given the uh, the loss at Twickenham, th- this season has to have been a su- considered a success for Sale, at least domestically, doesn't it? Oh yeah, no, absolutely no question. You know, you you you, you 
you, you go back to our season preview, which I think is always a good thing to do because it's like that's where our expectations were set. And, you know, I think we would have been okay with a top four competitive in Europe and, you know, being competitive in the Premiership Cup. We weren't either of the latter two, but we over-exceeded expectations of the Premiership, which ultimately I think was the number one priority. And um, to get that home semi-final and have that occasion that Alex so brilliantly described, and, and that's kind of the template now for every home game moving forward, you know, it kind of has to be um, to get to Twickenham and take a good, good crowd down there as well. You know, for that occasion that you know these kids that are going, they're going to remember that forever. Just like I remember going to the Pilkson Cup final against Leicester all those years ago for that nine-three result. You know, it's kind of like one of my first, like proper proper rugby experience memories. Where even though the game was awful, I just remembered the whole thing and going to London and 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 I hope we can inspire a whole new generation of Sale Sharks fans who are proud to be part of the fabric of the North, just like we're putting it. So I think. You know, the, the, putting that with the fabric of the North and the Northern Rugby Matters campaign, getting our women's team back over the line into the women's competition, um, you know, getting four under-20s starting for England in their game tomorrow. You know, the, the, there is there is just some building blocks here that is in place now that really can make you excited looking forward to next year. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm super excited about our season preview. You know, going through the squad, who are the new signings, who's left, what are the draws in the competitions. You know, I can't wait to go on a massive rant about the Champions Cup draw and all of that kind of stuff. That's not for now. But for this season, yes, I think we have slightly overperformed, but it feels like we actually massively overperformed because of the feeling that the season has left us with. And... You know, as we kind of move move forward a little bit and kind of move away from the the week to week analysis, obviously we're going to touch upon a little bit what happened off the field. We're going to touch upon obviously you know some of the key kind of player personnel and 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 those sort of items as a almost as a prelude to, to what we'll talk about in the season preview next year. But I guess the the one thing, James, is obviously the the one black mark is no real cup success this year. Um, a pretty poor going in the in, in the Champions Cup. Uh, ultimately, you know, only winning one game out of uh, out of four. You know, getting beaten home and away by Toulouse. There's nothing to be too uh, too disappointed by there. You know, the team that that's just gone on, gone on to win the top fourteen. But obviously, only picking up one win uh, against uh, against Ulster, losing uh, losing over in Northern Ireland, and then of course, obviously dropping down into the Challenge Cup. Getting beaten by Cardiff in the, I think it was round of sixteen, um, or the quarterfinals. Um, no real sort of European success, and obviously you've already kind of alluded to it, but no real success in the Premiership Rugby Cup either. And I guess, do you do you have any thoughts on that? You know, does it feel like we we are maybe still, or or as it was, maybe we are still a year or two away from being a team that can compete genuinely across multiple competitions because. Last year we got to you know the quarters in the Champions Cup. Yeah, we got beat by Racing, but didn't do very well in the league. And then this year it's kind of flipped on its head. Um, where do you, where do you stand on that? And, and actually, is there a path forward to compete on, on two fronts for English clubs uh, moving forward? Given what's happening with the the salary cap and everything yeah. else. Well, I mean that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think you know we're not going to be the only ones. I think it's going to be very very difficult for English clubs to compete in Europe. Um, 
I mean, the, the only upside is that, you know, the United Rugby Championship is now a really tough league to actually qualify for the Champions Cup. It's the only it's the only set part really of this competition that actually has credibility is the qualification from the United Rugby Championship. Uh, Rugby Championship, um, really really tough. So you know even teams like unless you're Leinster and Munster, you're not sorry Leinster. You know really Leinster are probably the only ones. No one's resting players here. <laughs> yeah, no, they have to go all out to qualify. But overall, it's going to be really tough for English clubs moving forward. And it was for us this year. And it has been for us in most of the times we've been in this competition, to be frank, uh, where we have qualified for it. We've then struggled in the Premiership the year after. We we prioritised the Premiership. And I think that that's the right thing to do. In the short term, we have to get used to being at the top of this league um, and attracting the best English players to want to come and play for us. That has to be the starting position. And filling stadiums, playing... You know, Newcastle Falcons, really, if you're filling the stadium Newcastle Falcons, you'll probably be all right at home to Toulouse. Um, you know, even if we're going to get battered, people are still rock up for that. You know, so so I, so I think, yeah, it is, it, is, it is a block, but I don't think we're going to be losing any sleepless nights over it. Uh, we'll deal with the new draw in the season, pre, in the season preview. But um, this Premiership Cup, just to finish on that one, I think, we always go to our third priority. I think what it highlighted, though, is those kind of players in the kind of maybe 22 to 24 camp or 25 camp that isn't called Ben Curry or Tom Curry. They haven't really massively kicked on with a couple of exceptions. You know, we've moved into the, the first team, people like Gus War, people like Sam Dugdale. But the, but, but the, the, the people behind that, Kieran Wilkinson's, for example, just haven't necessarily kicked on. Um, your your, your possible weights, etc. And I think that it was kind of exposed in those final two games of the Premiership Cup, uh, where or even playing alongside your Ross Harrisons and your Cunier Stasons, we realised that actually we're maybe one or two injuries away here from being quite uncompetitive in the Premiership. And I think every Premiership club is is now like that, to be honest. You know, if you have like an injury, you know, one or two injuries in the same position, you are really, really struggling unless you unearth a Gus War or a Rafi Quirk from nowhere kind of situation. So, that's my view on the Cups, uh, but I, I don't think in any way, because of getting to the final at Twickenham, it, it allows you to kind of just put that to a side. Um, I think it will be on the to-do list for next season to ensure that we do ourselves justice in Europe. Um, I think that's going to be really difficult to do. But, you know, on that higher stage, when you're on television every single week, having got to the final this year in the Premiership, we will be you know, a little bit more in the in the kind of people will know who we are a little bit more. So we'll be looking to our results, looking to our performances rather than just being on BT Sport for extra. You know, we actually might be on BT Sport two next year for the Champions Cup. Um and in terms of that 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 away game at Cardiff, I just don't think we were mentally on that game. I think there were, there was a lot of understanding that we needed to get on a run in the in the premiership to um, take momentum into the playoffs and then potentially to win the final. And I think that that's where our brains were at. I think all the rest of the year, we've been quite good at thinking about the next game. I think that was the game where we were guilty probably of not and thinking further ahead. And I don't blame them because we did get our heads on. We went on the run. That momentum enabled us to see out a, a win at home against Leicester that was very professional. Actually was way more comfortable than the, uh, the scoreline suggested and actually took us into a final where... You know, after 55 minutes, we were winning. Uh, and then we just ran out of steam. Um, yeah. I mean, 
we've concluded that the the season on the field was obviously a success for Sale, and we're like I said, we are going to revert back and and talk about uh, talk about a few few players etc that have caught the eye. But we obviously have to address what's happened off the field, which has been nothing short of a disaster for Premiership rugby this year. Three clubs gone: Wasps, Irish Warriors, as I mentioned earlier, and. Um, we don't want to spend too much time on this because I think we've we've probably addressed Worcester and Wasps at the time when they happened. Irish, obviously, uh, has, has since happened uh, post post Premiership final. But I mean, I guess you know, Alex, you know, from from your side, I think it's a pretty damning indictment of of kind of where the game is at the moment, at least from a governance perspective. And you know, it shouldn't take away anything from sales accomplishments on on the field this year. But it is hard to separate the fact that we finished twelfth out of a. Uh, Ten team league basically by by the end of it, um, and a, a league that was talking about expanding to fourteen teams as as recently as two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, there's all sorts of questions about the RFU, and I, I think the RFU and Prem Rugby, Prem Rugby less so recently, but certainly the RFU are, are pretty poor um, at managing the game. But this all comes from a lot of this comes from COVID sort of exposing frailties that were already there. So this isn't like, you know, the game has been mismanaged in 2022 and 2023. This is the result of the mismanagement from 2015 to 2020. And, you know, clubs have spent ahead of their budgets to compete with teams in France who get, who fill the stadiums every game and, and our clubs don't. And, you know, the, the commercial deal isn't great, but no one gets great commercial deals. Rugby League's in exactly the same position. Every, everyone points to football and says, why can't we do that? But, you know, this is a different game. Uh, the, the the stat that came out recently, uh, Adam Coleman, Wallaby's Lock, uh, Irish on £950,000 a year. It's just so ins- unsustainable. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is what, you know, this is what I come back to, that if clubs spending beyond their means is is the reason all of Wasps, Worcester and Irish have gone under. Now, listen, the, you can point the finger at owners and you can point the finger at Prem Rugby, but all three of those clubs brought in, like, foolishly paid players from where they were. So Wasps were bringing in the likes of Fekitoa, Willie LaRue. You know, they had they signed some ridiculous names when they were playing at Coventry and with not getting people in the stadium. Irish, as you say, have always had a ridiculous level of talent in their squad for a club that didn't sell, like, no, got nowhere near selling out the Nadeski. Worcester had Dewan van der Merwe, Rory Sutherland. They were signing Lions players again. I mean, Worcester is, is at least had a stable stadium and could get a decent crowd in from time to time. But you look at the Wasps and Irish games, you look at the crowd, there weren't any because it's a massive stadium that they're trying to Phil, and it just was never quite happening. So, listen, I'm not sort of... I've got massive sympathy with the fans because I think they've been shafted by people who spent a lot of money on players and then COVID came and just exposed the fact that ultimately these, it's all unsustainable. And and I think, let's be really honest, Sale are in the same position now. We're, you know, I don't think we're quite as... Quite as ahead of ahead in terms of player spending versus other revenue as as kind of other people are, but we're still massively loss making. I think the difference is that when we didn't have Simon Orange and Jed Mason, we didn't spend beyond our means, and we 
didn't, you know, we didn't play, we didn't get the results accordingly. And that's why it was really tough. And that's why we've got to enjoy now when we, you know, through the generosity of our owners who are willing to fund the losses um, for a short-term period, um, we're able to have a competitive squad. But fun, if, if Sale were currently able to sign players and produce, we've obviously always had a really strong academy, which has helped. But fundamentally, if we matched our player salary to our revenue, we'd be in the championship because we wouldn't be able to compete in the premiership. Um, and that's just the question the game's got to address is, how do you get fans back in the stadium? Particularly after COVID as well, I think that's impacted attendances. Uh, I think it's changed a lot of people's behaviours and habits and it, it took people out of the rhythm of going to rugby. Sales are a particular issue in terms of the AJ Bell. But also, you know, I mean, the salary cap's going back up. It, it makes absolutely no sense because you just need rich people to come in and be willing to spend the money on rugby. And at the moment, there are people doing that, but at some point they'll run out because, you know, we're not creating the next generation of fans who are going to be... We're not, what we're fundamentally relying on is that kids who are watching the game now will go and earn a load of money as an investment banker or whatever and then go and buy a club in 20 years. It's not a sustainable model, is it? And And I think... That's the kind of the massive challenge and, and the solution to that, I don't know. But I think this comes back to, you were talking about the Champions Cup before, we, we, we are not going to be competitive in Europe until we build our fan base up such that the ticket sales are a strong source of revenue generation and that will attract commercial partners, i.e. a TV deal, basically, because that's where all the wealth comes from in football. If you make people want to watch it, if you fill stadiums, people want to watch it. That's why the Premier League has done so well, because it's full stadiums all the time. And if we do that and can create kind of a product that people want to watch on TV and then get a decent TV deal, rolling year on year on year and expand it, then that'll create the the kind of commerciality such that English clubs can compete in the, in the Champions Cup. But, you know, I think the problem is that we've got a French model that is very unique to France. We've got a URC model, which fundamentally could work over here, but you have to centralise the game and have, you know, six provinces in England or whatever it is, which I don't think we want to do because of the history of our clubs. Um, and people are spending loads of time going, oh, we should do this, we should do that. There's 40 different ways to run the game and, and nothing's getting done. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a slightly depressing note, really, but... I think until people understand that you can't spend 950k a year with Adam Coleman when you're playing in Reading or Brentford and not selling out the stadium even close to in your biggest game of the season, let alone week in, week out, then, you know, I, I, it's it's just maths at that point, isn't it? So I think that's that's the way the English game is and we have to rely on the talent we produce. And don't forget, we've got a massive player pool. You know, we're going to produce some of the best talent out there. It's just about focusing on that and and how we develop that talent and that comes back to build a strong second tier build a championship that works for those players to kind of come through um etc etc but you know in the, we could go on for about three hours on the set of the game couldn't we so i think let's not pretend that and the, the danger is to go worcester wasps and irish was all because of oh shit owners and prem rugby being shit and the rfg being rubbish it's not. It's it's because rugby doesn't understand 
that it's not football and we're spending to try and be football. We're just speculating on trying to be like football and it's not going to happen and it kind of needs ripping out root and branch and, and just a real rethink from everyone. But um, yeah, I mean, hey, Exeter, the salary cap's going up, so don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. If, if Exeter are having to sell, you know, shares in their hotel business or whatever to basically keep their heads above the water and they sell out every single week and have been European and Premiership champions, I think, you, you know, and a committed owner have been there literally his whole life. I think it goes to show that even if Exeter are struggling, literally, apart from Leicester and Northampton, really, we're all, all the rest of us are all in the same boat. Difference is when we had Diamond and the end of the Kennedy era, we minimised the losses very successfully. That meant that Brian Kennedy didn't just drop and leave uh, and leave us in the shit. Um, and we know that that's possible again. And that's what Falcons are doing now. And by the way, getting a huge amount of stick for it. Huge amount of stick for what they're doing. Bringing in kind of, you know, championship players and... <clears throat> older players, you know, nearly 40 and all the rest of it. But, you know, you just have to cut your cloth and uh, people are now thinking that Newcastle are expendable. Well, you know, you know, I think it's fans. Fans need to wake up the most. If you love your clubs, then you have to go and watch them. And also you have to accept, accept that the English game is, is currently in a very weak position and will be for a considerable amount of time. And I actually do think it's it's not just the model. I do think it's the way that it's been governed because if you have the salary caps the way that they've been going up and up and up and all of the, you know, the what the players that could sit outside it, you know, like ours was Lou Diago and, you know, the clerk and stuff like this and you could pay them whatever you want. It, it meant that we could come on all excited about signing Lou Diago. But in the background, that was a stupid idea. I mean, it was, you know, if you were running a business, that, that people get sacked for those kind of decisions. We're just really, really lucky that we've got an owner who's kind of just committed to losing money. So, you know, let, let, let's probably leave it there because otherwise we're going to get into a doom cycle. But we do, you know, the World Cup and I think hopefully a precious commodity next year, um, you know, and hopefully some really good young English players coming through the club system because we're less reliant on experience, expensive players from abroad, you know, we'll get some love and excitement back into the English game. Um, and, uh, you know, th things can, things can turn around. It's not, um, doom and gloom forever, but there is some pretty bold visionary type decisions that the RFU and Premiership Rugby need to make together and they need to get out on the front foot pretty quickly, uh, on the run up to the, you know, World Cup and then beyond, you know, this is kind of like a moment you can't miss really to kind of try and. You know, and, and not let it just paper over cracks. I mean, this is this fundamental root and branch reform. I, I love that point on Newcastle, which is, I mean, Newcastle is reflective of where the English game is at the moment with, you know, lean, uh, predominantly English squad with, with a couple of those Argentinian players sort of dashed in. That, that might be just how we need to, to run the game for a couple of years to get it back to where it should be. That's, that's where English rugby is at the moment. It's not in chasing the the Stade Francais or the Toulouse's or the other Racing's of the world, um, but you are right, James. We don't want to get stuck in a doom cycle. And um, what we want to do to kind of finish things off is just rattle through some awards super quickly, um, and uh, and really kind of just just bring a bit of life back into the pot because it can be difficult talking about English rugby at the moment. So. As, as per, we've just got a selection of awards and, and uh, we'll, we'll go through these relatively quickly and we'll start with uh, 
we won't start with a big one. You know, we'll start with um, you start with, start with the most twenty twenty three specific. So, Alex, of all the players sale signed this year, who gets your award for best new signing? It's a really tough one, isn't it? But I'm going to say George Ford um, because I think he's brought he he sort of we wouldn't have a, have had a chance in that final without a player like that, um, and I think he's. His, his impact off the field or sort of behind the scenes, maybe is a better way to put it, has been far greater than his impact on it because of the injury. But I just think you've seen from our attacking, from the belief, from the fact that we're able to attract a player like that and everyone's talking about us. I think um, he's he's kind of been had the most impact um, without necessarily having that impact kind of on the pitch all season. But I'm very excited to see him next season. So yeah, I'll go for, for George Ford. And I think He's lived up to the hype in a way that maybe Luke Diaga didn't, speaking of big money signings. So, uh, yeah. What about yourself, James? Tom O'Flaherty, for me, he had that injury on the run-in, which I think took him out of the first team. But I think he's he, he's brought that kind of experience on the wing that I think Roebuck and Reed are learning from and will continue to learn from. I think he's still got you know two, three years at the highest level left in him. I think he was an excellent signing who knows how to win premierships. What about you? I've I've completed the trifecta. I've I've actually gone for Johnny Hill, you know, a player who I think has kind of struggled, you know, to to kind of hit top form or or had struggled to hit top form. But I think a bit like George Ford, you you started to see the impact that a player of his caliber with his experience really makes to this team, particularly towards the end of the season, where as we spoke about earlier, we were able to beat teams in, in in a number of different ways, and I think. You know, he's kind of gone maybe a little bit under the radar this year because of that slow start, but he did play in, you know, 20-plus games for us. He was fit all season. And although I think a case can definitely be made for Ford for his off-field impacts, you know, as a sort of a pseudo-coach, um, I think Johnny Hill has been such a consistent part of the, the pack, has been such a massive part of our success this year. And actually, you know, the Luke Diaga example is a really good one where Luke Diaga is the better player, but we're already able to get him on the pitch. 30 times in two years, whereas we've already had that with Johnny Hill. So, so Johnny Hill, for me, um, keeping it with players who were already at sale but uh, at the start of the season, most improved player. James, I'll let you go first on this one. Most improved player. This one's a really difficult one, but I, uh, I'm going to go with Simon McIntyre. Um and it's not that he's improved beyond where I thought his potential was. I think it's partly a bit like the Josh Beaumont piece, you know, getting fit and getting on the pitch. But most improved by the sense of he was our best loose head, clearly, by the end of the season. Um, and not just in the scrum, around the park as well, which is a bit of a surprise when you're thinking about Bevan Rod. Um, but I just thought he was absolutely exceptional. And... Um, you know, he added that depth for us, which I just thought was just so crucial for us, especially, you know, you look at that semi-final against Leicester. So, Simon McIntyre for me. What about you, Lewis? It's a really, really tough question because there's so many players in, in the in the squad who really came to the fore this year. I was thinking Tom Roebuck, um, you know, but that might be recency bias with that fantastic try in the, in the Prem final. It's got to be Gus War for me. And I think you're going to hear Gus War's name quite a lot over the next five, ten minutes. Um, 
But for me, you know, we we were genuinely, to Alex's point, talking about him as a player who might be going to Doncaster at the end of this season. Um, you know, someone who is in that kind of uh, uh, in that kind of uh, Alex Groves, Ben Bamba mold, where you're like, oh, maybe there's something there, maybe there isn't. Is you know, can they do anything with the five games they're going to get this year? And obviously, you know, Will Cliff injury. Rafi Quirk injury, uh, De Klerk leaving, and all of a sudden there was a question mark at nine uh, for about two weeks. And he's just taken his opportunity and absolutely ran with it to the point where, you know, he was one of the first names on the team sheet. And if you just look at it as, you know, a player who who we didn't think necessarily had a guaranteed future at the club at the start of the year to a player who was starting a premiership final for us, He's been immense and, and has been the, the only player to, to throw Antoine Dupont off his game uh, this season as well. I think is really important to mention. Um, Alex, what about yourself? Where do you stand on the most improved player? Yeah, I agree with both of your shouts. I think they've definitely um, been brilliant. And I think you're right. Watching Gus War, you know, make Antoine Dupont look like an average scum off was quite funny. Um I'm going to go for, in the interest of having another option, I'm going to go for Rob Dupriya. Um, I think we probably will forget how outstanding he was at 10 in that first half of the season. And, and you know, his kicking was on point, but his attack um, and the way he kind of managed our our team around the field, hand in hand with Gus Ward as well. Um, I think he was brilliant. And, and obviously, George Ford kind of took the limelight. I've just said player of the season, George Ford. So I'm, you know, is responsible for that. Um, but I think, the um, sorry, signing in the season is George Ford, um, but I think Rob Dupree just showed so much, especially in that early part of the season, that's responsible for us being in second place at the end of it. And then we, almost on a similar vein, young player of the season, Alex. I'll go back to I'll go back to you first. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to annoy you by taking the obvious choice, but it's 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 Carpenter. That's the end of <laughs> conversation it's just like there's I, I don't understand how I was watching him play at Sale FC like a year ago it's it's mad how impressive he is um but for all the tries he scored for the pace he's brought for the authority he brought in the air even in the Prem final um I just think he is unbelievable and it's an absolutely great pickup from Steve Diamond again identifying talent um let's not forget that it was him it was under his kind of stewardship that joe carpenter came over from the yorkshire academy so um yeah well done joe absolutely brilliant and so good to see someone come from like that sale fc pathway um through into you know first team and 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 beyond hopefully it's it, i mean it's a great shout because it's, it's so easy to forget that this wasn't a player from manchester you know he's from leeds and he was in the you know Le- leeds carnegie academy yorkshire carnegie academy uh, and was brought over. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. That's that's, that's my pick as well. You know, just um, you, to the point I made about Gus War earlier, you know, we were looking at the start of the season, who's going to play 15? You know, if you told me at the start of the season, Luke James would only play a handful of games or start a handful of games for sale this year, given how rock solid he'd been for the last two, three, four years, I wouldn't have believed you. But by the end of the year, there was just no way for him into the squad. And part of that is because Carpenter has taken the opportunity and run with it. I remember we, we sat on this pod and we were sort of talking about, okay, maybe you play Luke James or maybe Jason Woodward gets a, you know, the, the odd game here or there. Because we all thought Carpenter was going to need at least another year, given that he's only, uh, he's only well, he's uh, just about to turn 22. Um, 
I mean, you know, again, 12 months down the line, it's hard to imagine anyone playing 15 for sale other than Carpenter for the next decade. Yeah, James, uh, what about I, yourself? Clean sweep. Well, I'm going to. I think for for the survey on Twitter uh, that we'll put out, I, I need to pick two names. So Gus, well, I won't talk about him because I I was probably talking about him again, and you guys already have. I'm going to pick Sam Dugdale. It's his last year as a 23 and under, so it's his last chance to to kind of win this Young Player of the the Year award. And I don't think we would we've had him in the mix in previous years. And so you know, he was another I thought I might have had for most improved, but basically to to basically pick him to start a premiership final and no, no self and blink and think, Oh my God, we're screwed. Just goes to show a, how much he's improved and B what seasons he's had. He's come in and there's been no drop of intensity. He's good over the ball, but he's really mobile. He's super committed. We're very fortunate to have him. My best young player of the year is, uh, is Sam Dugdale. That's a, a, a great shout. And again, speaks to the, the quality of talent in the squad. And you want to talk quality, Going to round this off with uh, player of the season and some some really good choices here. I'm really interested to see what you guys have come up with. James, I'll, I'll give you first crack at it. Who's who's been your your player of the year for for sale? My player of the year has been Gus War. Uh, I haven't nominated him for many of the others. You guys have said everything that we need to say about the man. But um, okay, his Premiership game probably wasn't his best game of the year, but. He was in the top three players on the pitch every game he played pretty much for the rest of the season. And I just love anybody um, who just pisses off the opposition. And we, we've not often had players like that. We usually are like, oh, somebody else is pissing us off, like Owen Farrell or Matt Dawson or someone like that. We've got our own person now who just gets right up people's noses. And I absolutely love it. Alex, what about what about yourself? Yeah, just on that Gus Wall point, I absolutely love that interview where he says, um, you know, I'm not going to be the fastest or the strongest, but I can definitely be the most annoying, um, which is uh, a great quote. Uh, I'm going to go for Ben Curry. I think he's been absolutely outstanding and it's heartbreaking that he wasn't playing in the Prem final because he deserved to be and also, um, you know, I think he, he makes such a difference to our side. But yeah, I think throughout the season, he's led this team as a captain in such an impressive way for someone who's fundamentally still so young, um, brought up like, was it like a hundred appearances or 150 appearances? I think it was 150. I, th- I think it might so, be 150. Yeah. Cause he debuted in 2016. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think um, his, his game has got so, so much better and justifiably rewarded with the England section this year. So um, yeah, hopefully he's on to continue bigger and better things uh, next year once he's back from injury. Um, I'm going to throw a couple of honourable mentions in there as well, just to make sure everyone gets the props. Um, thought Rob Dupree had a fantastic year. Probably not, probably not quite, you know, player player of, of of the year, but certainly in the sort of top top four or five, he was particularly with George Ford out, so instrumental in in giving us the foundation that that uh, that led us to a prem final. Um, ben Corey, I was going to mention, but it's already been taken. Jean Luc Dupree, who I thought. Just, just was outstanding this year. Just really elevated his game in in a way that we'd probably seen from Dan, you know, once or twice before, but not from Jean Luc. You know, all those kind of hot headedness or or kind of temperament, you know, led mistakes that just completely disappeared from his game. Got to remember, he spent a lot of time playing um, in the second row, which you know we forget isn't his natural position. Um, and actually, you look at you know look at our scoring record and our our top scorers. 
he was so effective in those close quarters. He was one of our top try scorers this year. So, uh, and, and particularly in kind of key moments in, in, in the Premiership as well. So, uh, I wanted to give him a mention, but my player of the year is is Gus War. You know, took a problem, a bit like Joe Carpenter, um, but just a little bit more consistent. Gus War took a, what could have been a problem position for Sal this year at Scrum Half um, and was one of the best at his position in the entire league. Um, and it's really hard to, to overlook that when you look back at the end of the season and and, and work out why Sal were as successful as they were. So, so congratulations to Gus War. I think that'll just about do it for our for our season review. Um, thank you so much to everyone for listening, uh, both today and and throughout the year. You know, we, we really appreciate the support, and we're really appreciative of that. You guys have been following us on this journey with, uh, uh, you know, as as we track sail from, you know, uh, a maybe a top six contender to to uh, to a Premiership finalist. You know, that's a you know, that's a really really exciting thing. Um, and thank you to Alex and James for joining me for, for another season. So that's all for me for 2022-2023. For Alex, James, anything else you guys want to add? Nothing else for me. Um, been a great season. Can't wait to do the season preview. And we'll probably jump on and do the odd special um, previewing the uh, World Cup. Um, as well, and and as we go, you know, through that competition in the autumn. Yeah, for me, just um, what a season to look back on. What a day against Leicester at home in the semi-final. Very excited for next season. Very excited for our season preview. Um, so, hope everyone enjoys the summer and uh, looking forward to finding out the fixtures, getting some away days in, and maybe even a little trip to Leinster uh, if we get lucky. But. Yeah, a, br- a brilliant season. So thank you to you chaps for uh, looking at it with me. And um, thank you to everyone for listening as always. And we'll be back for the season preview in uh, what will feel like no time, I'm sure.